welcome to the Onyx Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Dawkins, and I am accompanied by Dixie Cochran. Hi. And Eddie <laughs> Webb. Hello? Oh, hello. That's I was just right. trying to say hello in there. <laughs> What's happening? I don't know. Well, we have for you listeners today an exciting episode about a subject I know you've been dying to hear about. It's errata. <laughs> about to hear about. You, you couldn't even keep a straight face through the intro. Wow. Yeah, well, you know, as we know, Eddie, intros aren't always easy, are they? <laughs> They're easy for me. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never messed up an intro. <laughs> No, we're, we're going to be talking today about errata, feedback, a little bit of playtesting, uh, ways to submit it, the best ways to submit it, the kinds of things we like to see, the kinds of things that are useful to us, and some of the, I guess, journey of how uh, errata has changed over the years. It may not sound on the face of it that this is a subject that will grab you, but I have no doubt that we will sprinkle in some anecdotes, some stories, and other things that will enthrall and bewilder you. If you think about it, errata is a way that people can directly impact the products they love. So, I mean, that's an exciting thing to think and about. That, and that is something, yes, some, definitely something to think about. I, uh, I, I remember um, way back when, when uh, I used to frequent the White Wolf forums and Dark Ages British Isles came out for Dark Ages Vampire. And uh, when the, uh, I remember a lot of people feeding back the things they wanted to see, and the readers were essentially rewarded with a PDF of the uh, content that got cut from Dark Ages British Isles. And that was what was considered errata at the time. Now, it doesn't tend to be how we do it now. But, mm. Eddie, as you're the uh, wise old man of the group, <laughs> what what can you tell us about the evolution of errata? Um, it, it's 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 an interesting kind of road because um, initially uh, errata just wasn't a thing, right? Um, if there was you, a mistake, you, that you was put found, out a book. It had a page XX, Nobody gave a crap. It became a oh, no. joke, right? Yeah, I mean, we gave a crap, but really, it wasn't much we could do. You know, yeah. Um, it, it was we'll fix that in the next printing of the book, or we'll fix that in the next edition of the book. Um, mm-hmm. And the reality is a lot of times those books never got new printings or new editions. So page XX sticks around forever and it becomes a running joke, like you say. Um, uh, then, you know, like Matthew said, that the internet kind of comes around and becomes more heavily engaged. And we and, and there was a, a phase of people putting errata online. Um, here's a web page with the errata on it. But then over time, you know, I think we collectively as a culture realized that web pages are not actually permanent. Um so a lot of times it's lost. Um, it gets replicated and duplicated. And you know, web rings. Remember when those were a thing? Yeah. Um, you know, people would post and repost errata, so it got made sure it got kept. Um, but that was it. If you didn't have access to a website or didn't even know where to look, odds are you probably didn't find it. Um. So uh, when PDFs started becoming more a more prevalent way of approaching things, um, when I started doing uh, the 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 what was called alternative publishing program at White Wolf. Um, one of the things I talked about is like, we can just update these, you know, as needed. Uh, and that was, that concept was kind of revelatory. It was the, oh, we could just fix it. It's again, we'll just get a new copy and, and it'll be fine. And people who buy it will go get the new updated version, never know there was a broken version. Um, when we started moving to print on demand, then things got trickier again, because then there would be physical copies 
there would be physical copies that were previously not marked up. And there was no way to visibly tell when a product was one version or another version. Um, I think the most noteworthy example of that time period would have been Geist first edition. Uh-huh. Uh, um, because uh, uh, I, I feel like Dixie, you talked about this too, but um, or maybe it was with your interview with Rich about how first edition Ethan was just not kind of uh, as available as we had hoped uh, for medical reasons. Uh, nothing against him; it just made medical has medical problems. Yeah, um, guys, guys got pushed out a little before it probably should have been. <laughs> right, because um, we were still kind of in that we need to get it out by Gen Con or whatever stage of mm-hmm. things. Right. Um, uh, but there was a, a lot that was wrong with that book. Um, and so I actually uh, spearheaded uh, a few years later uh, a 1.5 version, which is what I called, um, where we basically put up a new print-on-demand version. Um, it had completely updated stuff, and we had to clearly kind of brand and showcase to people this is not the same as the print-run version. And then we also had to put out an errata for that to people to, um, who had bought the original print version can still be up-to-date. Uh, and it was a challenge because people had gotten used to just always having the latest version. Um, mm-hmm. And so they felt like if they had bought the old version that they were it was defective and corrupt. And like, no, you still have a game there. It still works. It's just not as good as we wanted it to be. Um, so that kind of brings us up to where we're at with Onyx Path in the sense of Rich's mindset and my mindset going into it was like, okay, Errata is a thing that – we should do, but once it goes to print demands, we have to rethink how to, how we approach that. See, I, I remember um, even before then, I guess, when I bought Giovanni Chronicles, uh, G- the Giovanni Saga, which was Giovanni Chronicles 1 and 2 for Vampire the right. Masquerade. And I think one of the founders or a conspiracy of Isaac, I'm testing my memory at this point, one of the sort of antagonist groups that's introduced in the first one uh, has a character that doesn't have a stat block. And that character stat block gets added in Giovanni Chronicles 3 in an appendix. And it says... And it says something like, you know, you may have noticed that Lady Amisa doesn't have... I may be getting these characters wrong. Pedants, you can correct me. Uh, (laughs) I I am one, so I understand you. I understand the need. I was going to say, when I think of vampire pedants, you're the first person I think of. (laughs) These are my I suppose vampire peasants, that's different. (laughs) Yeah, that's a member of Clan Bruja. Yeah, shot words. Yes, uh, but anyway, no. It was interesting because you would see the see errata being included in other books that, of course, and and as I think you said, Eddie, it was a bit scattershot because even with D and D books in third edition, you'd sometimes find errata on the wizards.com website. You'd sometimes find yeah. it in another book. You might sometimes find it in the Dungeon or Dragon magazine that was released a month or two after the book in question. So, so finding errata was generally a bit of a a bit of a labyrinth, you know, trying to find the right place to go to find the completed errata for your book. Yeah, and that's actually that's a good point that I did kind of skip over. Is um, uh, uh, White Wolf in particular had this kind of weird era because they had for a while they did have a house magazine. They had literally mm-hmm. White Wolf magazine, which then became Inphobia, um, and so sometimes it would show up there. But um, really, the way uh, we were producing books at that time was what Rich likes to call the periodical model. Um, people were bought, they would go every month, every couple months to the store to buy their next Vampire the Masquerade book. Um, and so it made a certain degree of sense for about three to four years to actually just put it in the next book because we had a, a, a 
bunch of people who that was their buying pattern. They would all, whatever the book was, they would pretty much buy it. Now the audience is much more. They're they're going to pick pick and choose what makes sense to them. And there's still people who follow us from like month to month about projects, but usually it's their specific project, not just whatever comes out from a company. Right. Of course, that's not what we do now, is it, Dixie? No, it is not. What do we do now? What do we do now? We have so many game lines. That's what we do now. <laughs> so many. Um, are, you, are you asking about the current errata process or the current I model get, of business? Because well, I guess the, cu- the current errata process and I guess what immediately preceded it. Um, because yeah. you, you've experienced both and yeah. have largely been responsible for setting up the current version. Right. So um, until a couple months ago, I don't know, what, three three months ago now maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, we would just start an errata thread on our forums. Um, it, it worked on some level. The one advantage to it was that people could see what had been reported before, which was nice. Um, so we weren't going to get any duplicates. That's like the only thing that I kind of miss from it, but everything else I like better about our new version. <laughs> um, right. But there were, a, there were a few flaws in there in that not everybody uses the forums and not everybody understood. Like, you know, if you notice a typo in a book... How much effort do you want to put into going and making a forum account and then typing in the, you know, response thread that you found one typo? It's just not a big deal. Um, So now we started doing Google Forms where they have a choice of like typo mechanics and consistency or other because who knows? Sometimes art is wrong. You know, (laughs) like why not tell me that too? Uh, someone found a piece of art in Geist, I think, that had been like clipped incorrectly. So it looked all weird mm. on the page. And I was like, cool, thanks for pointing that out. That's actually really helpful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so now it, it's a Google form that dumps everybody's answers into a spreadsheet, which is awesome because I can then organize it by page number. Uh, one of the things that I do while it's collecting, at least on my own projects, is I go through it every couple days and remove duplicate answers. But also, you know, to see if we're still getting errata in. Like currently I'm collecting for Signs of Sorcery for Mage uh, the Awakening. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the one I'm working on right now. Um, probably turn that off in the next couple days. But yeah, as of right now, that's kind of what I'm doing. And like, that's, uh, it's 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 really, really useful because once it's all done, I can go to the developer. Like the way that I did it with Travis Stout uh, for Geist and that I did it with the Exalted devs was I had them go through and look at the mechanics and, and inconsistencies because they're more familiar with that stuff. And then I go through and look at all the typos and decide if it's really a typo or not. Because <laughs> sometimes people report things that aren't actually typos, but, you know, it happens. Right. It's fine. Um, but, yeah, so they can go through, they can make comments on it, and then I go through, and then I put all the changes in, in, into in-copy. Because I'm sure if we're talking about this, if this is the episode, I'm sure we're going to talk about Scion at some point. Um, mm. Because one of the things that happened with Scion, and that could happen on another project, is that in-copy is not the easiest thing to use for someone who's never used it before. Mm. Um, and then also it it does cost money. And on some level, I felt bad being like, hey, all you devs, <laughs> everybody pay $5 a month for this. It's not super expensive, but you know, it's a business expense. Right. Uh, so now the in copy changes are being input by the three of us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we put, put a Google, Google form. We let it run for a couple of weeks, sometimes a little longer if it's needed. And then we uh, put all the changes in. It's really easy and very streamlined. Do you find the, uh, and this is a subject we'll get onto in a bit, but the quality of errata submitted is different with the form than it was when people were posting in the forum? I think I'm getting a lot more nitpicky stuff, which I actually kind of like. Like a mm. lot of like comma splices and things like that, that people just weren't going to type up. 
mm. on the forums. Like we, we we occasionally have people do that, but I mean on the forums, we'd probably end up with, you know, thirty to fifty things per book, depending. And yeah. some of them are things we could safely ignore, whatever, because that that happens. Sometimes it's just a disagreement between the developer and and someone who who read it. Um, but I think on Geist, I think I got over two hundred. Oh wow. And a lot of them were, you know, little tiny typos that I was like, oh, that's easy to fix. Like, this thing does actually, you know, need an extra word to be clear, or this thing does need a comma. Um, and, yeah, I have no problem with that because I'm a nitpicky editor person. <laughs> well, I got, uh, I was doing the Book of Oblivion for, for Wraith recently and had a similar figure on there which wasn't terribly surprising when i noticed the uh, kinds of errata we were getting uh, obviously there was a substantial number of duplicates which is always refreshing you know that's one of the best feelings you can have when you're doing errata and you're uh, deleting rows out of a spreadsheet thinking haha i don't have to do this one yep. but... <laughs> it actually is kind of nice <laughs> <laughs> the uh, book of oblivion like scion uh, has a lot of locations, uh, gods, and mythological elements that use uh, characters from non-English uh, languages. Mm. And th those weren't all picked up in development or in editing or indeed in proofing. And that's not too strange uh, to think about because when you're proofing a book like this, it's, um, and I'm sorry if this sounds a bit too, um, like, you know, oh, my heart breaks, but uh, it's a lot of words to read <laughs> <laughs> and um, isn't always, it's just not always possible to pick every single problem up in proofing, hence why we do errata. Right. And so when you have a word like the uh, Olmeca, I think, uh, was one of them, and uh, the O should have a, a flat line above it, and... And uh, the the A needs a, um, a a symbol below it or something like that. But point being, um, and we had this with uh, a whole bunch of words, of course. Um, the language we use for compiling our PDFs doesn't, or the font set, I should say, doesn't have yeah. those characters. Right. And so a lot of the corrections I was making in errata via InCopy was finding all these squares that had appeared that replaced um, faulty characters and replacing them with the closest English language approximation. So an O or an A. Right. Fun fact of the day, the line over a letter is called a Macron. Oh. A Macron? Yeah. Like no, the, I, um... uh, the French premier. <laughs> yeah. Almost. <laughs> um yeah no i have we have a really weird uh problem in exalted books and that is that in sidebars sometimes apostrophes turn into eyes but if you look at the in copy text there's still apostrophes weird and we haven't figured that one out like mike can fix it if i note it in the pdf but I don't know how he fixes it, and I don't know how to fix it myself. Because um, we had a sidebar in the realm that was like the the empress's whatever. So it was a possessive with an apostrophe, and it became the impressy. And that one got reported a bunch, and I'm like, yeah, but I'm looking at the in-copy files, and that's it, it's an apostrophe. So, that's bizarre. Is, is, it the, is it the I with the um, accent mark on top of it instead of the dot? It might have turned into that, actually. 
because yeah. I've seen that a few times where um, if it's the smart apostrophe, it'll turn to that character as opposed to the dumb apostrophe. Well, I'm not here to give the apostrophes like you does. Okay. <laughs> I will clarify for those listening. Because um, Dixie knows <laughs> what I'm talking about. Yeah. She's, being, she's being a jerk. Yeah, Dixie um, is being a smart ass as opposed right. to a dumbass. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, that was very clever, and I wish I'd thought of it. Um, no, smart punctuation is when it is curved, like smart quotes are a common example where like the left hand quote is curved to the left, or curved to the right, and the right hand quote is curved to the left. Whereas dumb quotes and dumb apostrophes are just straight lines. Yeah. One of the things I do on a lot of our projects now, because I kept finding them, is before I even start editing, I do a find replace and yeah. just fix any that might have existed. Because yeah, we don't we don't like the the straight ones. Actually, um, uh, people listening, since we're doing fun facts, also a good tip, a quick shout out. Um, if you are writing in a Word and you want to change all of your punctuation to to smart punctuation, just find your replace for the exact same punctuation. Like just find find a replace apostrophe with an apostrophe, and it will automatically change all the smart. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, something I've been noticing a lot in red lines. Actually, I leave comments that say, "Please use bendy apostrophes." I honestly didn't know they were called smart uh, apostrophes, oh. but now I do. Fair uh, so I will be so all saying that now. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, of course the the writers, unless they're listening to this, won't know what I mean by a smart apostrophe. So I may just keep them as bendy. I, I like <laughs> bendy. Yeah, exactly. But on the um, on the subject of feedback, I guess, and quality of errata, um, Eddie, uh, you obviously being having been a developer of many many books, you uh-huh. have of course been on the receiving end of feedback of many stripes. Yes, and uh, we prefer to receive feedback in certain ways or certain tones uh, or of certain type. Uh, what kind of advice can you give to any listeners who want to provide feedback on books that are in that errata phase? Um, be be clear, but be neutral. Uh, really, the biggest ones, um, because mm, one thing that I've seen as a consistent trend in feedback that I, I personally don't like is assuming what the designer intends. You 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 can't always know what the designer intends. Uh, there have been times where, uh, particularly in Pugmire, I noticed this, but also a little bit in B20, where I made a small change because I want that repercussion to play out in gameplay. Um, and people come to it as an error. And certainly it's one thing to say, hey, it looks like it's this way. I think it should be that way. Or it's previously been that way. That's good feedback. So I can say, okay, cool. Appreciate it. No, that's actually intentional. Um, but to say, ah, oh, you're screwed up here. It's obviously supposed to be blah. Cool, bro. I'm not, I, I'm not changing that because I have a, a specific decision that I'm going to go there. Um, a good example is actually was, um, right before the, the, the current kind of feedback process, um, we were doing uh, open development for a while where we would put up the pre-developed manuscript up and get feedback. Now that's kind of been assumed into the Kickstarter process. Right. Um, so we don't really do open dev anymore because now it's a cool thing for Kickstarter backers. So it's like, why give it to you free when we can ask you to pledge at least a buck to look at the manuscript. Um, but during a lot of my V20 run, I was doing a lot of open developments and I would get, um, a lot of people who were very, very pedantic about vampire. Matthew was not one of them surprisingly, but other people (laughs) would be very pedantic. (laughs) Uh, Neil was one of them actually. Um, 
Ha! We got we got into a long debate about um, Naharaja. Actually, it was not slavery. That's um, why the two of them worked in a Becca's Jihad diary. Yeah, no, absolutely, it's absolutely that, right. That book needed vampire pedants. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Beckett's pedant diary. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, because we had that, that diary was all about cool bits of tiny little bits of lore. But um, on the open dev process, I would get lots of people who point out, hey, correctly, hey, you know, actually, you may not be aware, but in this book, this actually says other things. Okay, cool. Actually, I can then levit that in because I, I I don't know all 297 million Vampire the Masquerade books. Um, uh, but there's some times where it's like, no. How did you get this job? <sighs> some people genuinely ask me that question in all sincerity. Oh, um, well, I'm sorry to have brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, it's fine because um, <laughs> uh, it, uh, there's the, with the anniversary editions, also, it was kind of a weird moment because we should be celebrating the existing line, but also when I was more fully the line developer, because there's why point where we just weren't kind of doing it both. Um, but when I was mm-hmm. both the line developer, the mandate was let's try to find cool spaces inside of it and try slightly new things. Right. Um, so like, for example, uh, uh, one that got in um, rights to blood was, uh, Hey, you, you mentioned the Tremaine trooper here, but they're dead. I know I wanted to bring them back. Um, and, and I was, it just said it played out in other chapters. Um, so, I mean, one thing is definitely kind of uh, ass- don't assume malice. Right. It's like, so being able to keep back and say, hey, did you mean this? Because it reads this way. Comes across a whole lot better than you're a jerk. You should know better than that. Right. Yeah. You're the yeah. worst person ever because you used a word that you didn't know was not a nice word to use. Yeah. It's not, not fun. Right. Oh, yeah, that, that can definitely happen. I mean, uh, I would say, in fact, that very example is uh, the one where we're most, well, one of the most likely ones where we're going to be called out for um, for, for doing something inappropriate that maybe we should know better, U- using a word that may be offensive to some people that, mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, we weren't aware of uh, beforehand. Um, and that, uh, you know, speaking from the other end of it speaking as someone who may give feedback on something like that i can see why giving feedback whilst passionate about how dare they use a word like this will come across as you know you you have upset me by using this word you know sure. you, you offended me um please educate yourself on how to use this properly uh, i'm fairly certain i've used words to that effect uh, at least once in in my past giving feedback to someone about a project or other. and you know what i mean I, I personally i think it's fair and i think it's that's a valid pushback and there's been times where i've gotten feedback um a couple episodes ago i mentioned about using the g word to define the, the romany um that was because uneducated on the people in the educated were very passionate about it. it's like you know what you're absolutely right you have a right to be passionate about it and i should be and i should try to make better on that that i that didn't bother me because that was I was genuinely ignorant, and it was a very sensitive, passionate topic. I could see that. It's when you apply that level of passion to the fact that I give you one dot as opposed to two dots in potence, maybe I'm not as interested in hearing your side of the floor. <laughs> yeah. It's um, uh, not not to uh, polish Dixie's ego too much, but um, – oh, hell, why not? Um, <laughs> it's – what one of the things I really appreciate with Dixie's editing skills is um, she, as if she's not here with us, uh, is incredible at finding those turns of phrase, those words, those moments that make and should make an editor go, 
Eh. (laughs) Is that really what you mean? And that that tends to be the the kind of way that she phrases it in in editing notes. Um, And will often elaborate, say, because... It, you know, it could be read as this. And often when a writer or a developer has been staring at the same text for so long, those kinds of connotations can be completely lost. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is where having a diligent editor and a uh, concerned fan base who want the work to be as good as it possibly can is incredibly useful. It's one of those reasons editing and then subsequently errata uh, can really make a book because the initial thoughts of what is slammed down on the page by a writer and the, de- and the developers aren't necessarily refined and um, obviously editing is the the ideal place where the refinement happens but errata shouldn't be sniffed at either yeah i think that when one thing that i look for when i'm looking for new editors or you know anybody else that, that, that i work with is somebody who will give pushback if they see something that could be potentially offensive um that's that's why We'll shout out Maria Cambo and one of our other great editors. She's also very good at this. Um, she was a little tentative about it at first, and I was like, no, mm-hmm. no, no. If we're about to publish something that can be seen as sexist, racist, anything like that, tell me. <laughs> Please tell me. <laughs> tell me so we can fix it. Um, Absolutely. And I mean, that, that's that's kind of a funny thing. Like, as we talked about before, the harassment episode and other episodes, like, it's, it's obvious we're all, you know, we're all a little, a little left-leaning. Mm-hmm. Um like I am, I am a, a green-haired feminist in cat-eyed glasses. I don't care. It's stereotypical. Doesn't bother me. <laughs> um, so I will gladly listen to the passion from people who are from marginalized communities or people who are trying to protect marginalized communities of any sort. Right. right. Um, if you're passionate about getting into my errata farm and calling me an SJW um, and to tell me to take politics out of my games, just don't. I'm. It. It's. It's been deleted <laughs> already. Right. I've gotten a couple of those comments, and they've been deleted. Because no, <laughs> and that was, uh, to be fair, that was something I remember when you first pitched this process. That was something I remember the uh, our Monday meeting team. We actually talked about that concern. It's like it does does it embolden people to say such comments? But it sounds like there's only been a couple. Yeah, no one's been like actively insulting or anything. I haven't gotten a single comment yet that's like you know, what idiot wrote this book or anything like that, which is really mm-hmm. nice. I think that the anonymity on both sides of it is helpful, although we're breaking it down a little bit in this episode. I think that the people who are putting in stuff also, like, you don't know who all's reading this, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I link these to Eddie, to Matthew. If Rich wants to see them, he can. Like, anybody within the company and the developers can all see these. Um, so they don't always know who they're, you know, talking to either, which is kind of helpful because if, like... You know, I, I make most of the errata forms. If you look at a lot of them, I'm I'm the owner. But once I shoot one off to like Matthew or Eddie, I don't usually look at it again. <laughs> so now it's their form, but it's all very anonymous, which is really nice. And there could be eight different sets of eyes on it, which kind of dilutes the comments a little bit, honestly. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, it just doesn't bother me as much when it's not like personal. And also, if I don't see who it is, if they don't put in their email because email is optional for us, then mm-hmm. I really care even less yeah. <laughs> about this anonymous voice yelling at me on an errata form. No, it's a, it was a lovely step forward that because, um, of course, Dixie proposed this. Uh, if that wasn't clear earlier, this uh, change to our errata process and to give credit um, where credit's due. 
I think that Neil Price mentioned it to me. Ah, well, and then all, I brought all credit to, to Neil. So I'm going to give credit Hi, Neil. to Neil, too. <laughs> if, if you're listening to this, Neil, we love you, and you were a fantastic co-developer on Becker's Jihadzar. I'm sure you've developed some other games since then. I <laughs> One recently with uh, some kind of minor splash of a release. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, one day I'll have my style, Neil. Okay. Um, second edition, gold on drive-thru RPG. <laughs> mm, uh, I've just got to wait for they came from to get there, but that, that would take it being finished, and it's getting there. Um, but yeah, on the subject of feedback, uh, I've one of the books uh, for which there's been an errata form and I developed one of the uh, buyers, I guess, one of the people providing feedback uh, was leaving rather unhelpful commentary such as, this isn't a Disney film. Well, <laughs> I'm okay. sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, what? What? Uh, I'm so confused. Oh, uh, I'm I'm loath to go too deep into detail because uh, it's it, if I get too specific, it'll be very obvious what's going on. But there was someone who just left a whole bunch of comments uh, about various Disney properties and how the subject matter that was being presented was being too lighthearted, too upbeat, and too inconsistent with previous books in this series. And. Um, but but without any specific changes. And because it was anonymous, I don't know whether that person also left incredibly useful feedback elsewhere in the errata form, or whether their only feedback was to say, ugh, I hate it, I dislike it, what were you thinking uh, throughout the errata form? It, you know, didn't didn't really help. It was just, okay, well, I can delete that line because I don't need to do anything with this. It's... Yeah. Um, it, I, Fair enough, I can reread the passage and look for tonality and if I look at it and let's say it's vampire and for some reason there's a vampire and a pink tutu who's blowing kisses to everyone down the street, uh, then that may seem out of keeping with uh, moody Chicago. But it isn't Chicago by night, obviously. Um, but at the same time... That there are better ways of phrasing it, and um, so what are some of those better ways? Because we're talking about you know we're all kind of bitching a little bit, but let's uh, let's 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 get constructive here. Ooh, I wish I knew, Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> so one just not one that. thing for me when you're entering your errata is that like a couple of people have just entered like a quoted section of text and said typo, but I didn't. <laughs> like I can't see the typo in there. I still oh, stare at it for I see, a while. Yeah. Like you need to let me know what the actual problem is. Mm. Um, someone on Geist, I think, posted just the quoted line, like and and even pet cemetery in the world, and it was listed as a typo. And you know, Travis is like not a typo, and I'm like, yeah. Also, what? Like I don't understand what's wrong with this phrase, and. Unless they think Pet Cemetery is spelled like the Stephen King book, which it's not. Right. But like, I, I, I don't know what the problem is. Or yeah. someone who'll just post, like, someone literally in quotes posted, die, comma. And I'm like, I think this person might just not like commas. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the problem is. Because it's in quotes. The word die is in the book a lot. It's guys, senators, people die a lot. Um, <laughs> like your, your character has been dead. Uh, but like, so I, I didn't think it was a threat. Like they're telling me to die. <laughs> I, um, I was just confused as to what was wrong with it. So 
I suppose it could have been die rather than dice. I, I, I don't know. It's not a typo. It's fine. <laughs> no, no. But, but like, you got to let me know what the issue is. So if it's obvious, great. But don't think that something that's obvious to you is obvious to everybody. Mm. Um, cause it's, cause it's not, I have to leave, uh, I do PDF proofs, um, a lot for, uh, fantasy flight. And one thing in a PDF proof is that you can't change the text. <laughs> so I have to leave notes and all my notes have to be very clear. They have to be like, you know, this should be this, right. um, with like quotes and proper punctuation and everything like proven PDFs is the one place where I don't put periods inside quotation marks on a sentence because I don't want them to accidentally add the period. <laughs> Right. So it's like, you know, it's 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 very important um, to be clear. So if you're reporting typos, especially, but also for the, the inconsistencies, the mechanics, things like that, like, let us know what you think it should be so we can see if you're correct. Most people do this, but I've had a couple people who just don't and I'm not sure what to do with that information. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I learned a lot about this when uh, I worked uh, in video games specifically because um, my wife uh, for a number of years worked in uh, quality assurance. Um, and so I learned through her how to write a good bug report um, because she would be very mad at me. It's like, what am I supposed to do with this information? And I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> Let me actually put that in something you can use. Um, uh, so, I mean, being able to clearly express the problem and then clearly identify what needs to be fixed. Um, it seems obvious, and yet that those are two pieces of information that we desperately need. Um, because understanding why it needs to be fixed is sometimes useful, but secondary to what needs to be fixed. Um, and again, with typos, that's usually pretty self-evident. It's like, okay, well, obviously this should be a thing versus a thing. And then Dixie points out that's not always obvious to people. So you should still clarify what actually you feel needs to be changed. Um, when it comes to mechanics, you know, sometimes that can get a little muddier because, uh, uh, like, one thing I get pretty consistently for uh, Pugmire feedback is that monsters are pretty easy to kill. And it's like, yeah. Um, uh, if, if you fight a monster by yourself, they're actually extremely hard to kill. If you fight a monster with a group, they become relatively easy to kill. I'm encouraging people to, to fight together to overcome obstacles. That's, that's the design of the game. Um, but that's not something I can easily clarify in an errata process. It's just more lines like, okay, no, that, that's accurate. And I just kind of have to lead it and move on. Um, so, I mean, uh, because this isn't a conversation, and it's one of the things that since we've changed from a forum to a forum that maybe we're not quite used to, um, mm -hmm. we're not, we're very rarely going to come back to you and say, hey, when did you clarify this? Because if it's not clear, we're just probably going to lead it and move on. If it looks like it might be useful, and also separately is not clear. That's the weird middle zone. We might have to actually follow up and say, okay, actually I do have a follow-up question on this. Um, but most times if it's not clear, we're just assume it's not actually an issue because we don't, we're not gonna have a conversation about this. We've got to get a book out. We've got to get moving. Yeah. That's, that's a tricky one actually, because, uh, I do, uh, I don't necessarily mind someone leaving a comment in a router that says this seems a little too harsh. Or this task seems a little easy. Let's say I was doing, uh, I said, you need to roll wits plus investigation. And in brackets next to it, it says difficulty five. And it's just to, I don't know, identify someone's signature on a piece of paper. Now, um, of course, that wouldn't be wits. But anyway, uh, if someone leaves a comment that also says that's too harsh. Oh. 
<laughs> also, my brain is like, what game line is that for? Yeah, yeah exactly. Chronicles, I'm like, we don't have difficulty level. What? There's too many. Uh, I'm thinking V5. But either way, um, it will make me look at the challenge, even if that's all you have to say. I mean, I would much rather have reasoning behind it, of course. Right. Uh, but I also appreciate people who are providing errata are doing so of their own free time and will mm-hmm. and don't necessarily have the opportunity or inclination to give us chapter and verse. We don't always want that. So just telling me that something is too difficult, too easy, or this doesn't seem right, at the very least what it will make me do is reread it. Now, that also means I may leave it as it is because I don't know what the problem is. Um, But if you do elaborate, as Eddie said, it gives the opportunity to uh, to go a little further with it and uh, and think. Oh, of course, yeah, because we didn't actually put a bit in earlier about uh, analysing handwriting samples. Yeah, um, or we did. So difficulty should be three in this and, case. And to be clear, um, I, 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 we're, we're, I don't know if we actually spelled this out, um, but uh, when Dick's talking about, I'm not sure what to do with this, and I'm talking about, I'm not sure what to do with this, and all that. All I, I think all of us are. I think it's fair to say that we all look at it and go, we just think about that. We'll go back and yeah. look at the context that that comment was made and try to figure it out. Yep. Um, I, so, I, I mean, checked every page number, even if it didn't seem like a problem. Right, exactly. So, I mean, we are thinking about each of them. And, and it, but the problem is, is that if we don't have enough information, like Matthew says, sometimes we don't know the context of it. But also there have been times where I've gotten uh, feedback and I fixed the problem in a different way or it actually mm-hmm. revealed to me an unrelated problem. Um, I actually ran into this um, dystopia rising um, where, whoa, hold on a second. <laughs> Fun Sounded like meatloaf was coming to get you yeah, at the beginning a, of I would do anything for love. There's a very loud noise outside. I think they heard about my erotic process and wanted to have a talk with me about it with very large hedge clippers. Um, <laughs> uh, but no. <laughs> What I was, what I was about I was to say. I was expecting ding, 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 I mean, I hate to take the side of your ex. I've not heard. Uh, I've not heard your rendition of "Don't Stop Believing." I can't imagine it's great. <laughs> I think we have to. Sorry, say, Eddie. I think we have to hear it and make a judgment. Okay, I will next find my kazoo before the next episode. There we go. Um, where are they? Stop your rising, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's what that sound was. It was the sound of dystopia rising. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it sounds like. There we go. Thank you for your time. No, welcome to my TED talk. No, um, uh, with dystopia rising, um, I did get some people coming out saying, you know, it's really easy to kill zombies, uh, and that was kind of the only feedback I got. And I was like, well, that's kind of intentional because it's going to be scale and blah blah blah. Um, but something about that feedback stuck in the back of my head is like, I, I did feel like there was something off about the numbers. I couldn't figure it out. Uh, and then ultimately, I am having a chat with Danielle at Midwinter about it. And, and she's like, well, how much are you using uh, uh, enhancement? And how high are the defense numbers? And I was like, oh. And then we started talking through and I showed her some example splats. So yeah, actually, for Trinity, um, these would be a bit low. And here's why that process. So put all these factors together, it can feel like it's very easy, even if you add scale in. And I'm like, okay, right, got it, because blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of back-end stuff that happens that, that 
and I ended up rewriting all the stats a couple of times, actually, as a result of that one piece of feedback, um, but didn't actually address directly the core criticism. Because if you find a shambler, it's still going to be very easy to take them down. That's an intended part of the system, because in zombie movies, once you become a noteworthy zombie hunter, zombies are relatively trivial inconvenience. Yep. Um, it, lots of them, that becomes the problem. I met so, George Romero at a convention several years ago. Oh, really? And that was his, like, one thing he was talking about, because he, he he would sign things with things like, fast zombies suck, because he wasn't a fan of the, uh, the uh, fast zombie. Mm-hmm. And he said, like, one zombie should never be scary. Like, just one zombie by itself. That's, mm-hmm. that's not scary. Like, zombies are scary because there's thousands of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because they are uh, a yes. horde. That's something I, I, I couldn't get for quite a few years because i loved um i know tangent but why not speak about zombies uh i loved the romero movies they were probably some of the first horror movies i really got into Mm -hmm. and dawn of the dead was a particular favorite of mine when i was a teenager and uh, i one of the first rpgs i ever ran was all flesh must be eaten And I just couldn't get why I wasn't making or how the zombies were supposed to be threatening because it wasn't that difficult to make a called shot and get a headshot every single time or if you're using the fade virus, a heart shot every single time. Uh, It was just, okay, there's a zombie at the end of a corridor. Well, I I can take the time to aim and blow him away before he gets anywhere near me. And, yeah, it just never clicked in my mind. The way to make these scary is, yeah, have the character drawing an aim for a few turns, but by the time he fires, there's five or six or ten zombies behind him. Mm-hmm. So now the character's got to run. You know, now the character's actually got to move, and when he tries to move and runs down the corridor or enters another room, there's four zombies in there. So, yeah, the numbers game, uh, I know, again, very tangential, but it was one of those moments of awakening that I just... Uh, yeah, it took me quite a long time to realize. Right. Yeah, I've got I've got lots of thoughts on on zombies and how like it should be about the desperation and the mm. inevitability. We should definitely yeah. have a, a zombie episode somewhere, I think, because there's a lot there to unpack. But zombie um, talk with Dixie, Matthew, and Eddie. <laughs> I like the upbeat nature uh, of zombie talk. <laughs> yeah, everything I do for her, everything I song is always upbeat. It's it's like coffee so talk but with zombies. I'm going to do a, 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 a somber minor key version. Like, is that what you want? <laughs> yes. Like, like the, uh, the Hulk Zombie. ending theme. Zombie talk with Dixie, <laughs> Eddie, and Matthew. That's, That's more the, the Christopher Shatner Walken. Yeah. That, what do you mean, Christopher Walken? <laughs> Christopher Walken. It's as good as his other Christopher Zombie. Walken. Zombie talk with Eddie, Dixie, and Matthew. But anyway, uh, <gasps> at some point I will get to the end of this thought. I swear to God. Um, <laughs> Finish this up your rising thought, Eddie. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I, I I I I love it. It's great. Um, but actually, it does lead to kind of where I was going. Is that um, it is sometimes the people giving commentary aren't always going to have game design experience. They're not going to have thought through the inner workings of this game. So sometimes I have to tell myself where I roll my eyes and go, ugh, of course. You know, like one of the um, feedbacks I got from Pirates of Pugmire was that birds and lizards feel a bit like minor characters. And like, well, that's intended. Um, But 
that this, the person saying that doesn't necessarily understand all that context. So sometimes I have to read through a little bit to be able to say, okay, what they're actually trying to say is blah. But so again, the more information we have, the better it's us for the kind of say, okay, I hear what you're saying. You actually don't want this. You want that. And I can do more of that and help that come out better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's all I want to well, say. I, I, no. <laughs> We're all worried about stepping on your thought now. So we're like, Eddie, keep having thoughts. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 please continue. <laughs> uh, something uh, something I know we wanted to cover before we wrap this episode up was to do with um, playtesting, more about playtesting. Um, do you have anything further you want to add about that? Uh, before we get into playtesting, I do want to say, um, I know we sounded a bit harsh a couple times, but the huge thank you to anyone that does report errata or that does take the time to go through our books and then give us feedback on them. Um, it is a, it, it's incredibly helpful. Uh, there are projects that I think have been made just, you know, miles better because of people reporting errata. Mm-hmm. So thank you for taking the time out to do that. And please, like, most of what has been reported does get input. So it's... It's actually a little bit more of an outlier case that we look at stuff and we're like, now, nah. you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. When we ask, when we try and give guidance on the best way to do it or what not to do, it isn't, uh, I can see why it might be, but it certainly isn't out of the spirit of complaining, how dare these people give us feedback. Uh, right. Undoubtedly, <laughs> every time a, we input errata into a book, the book gets better. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- and that's that's the key here. We we are grateful for all the feedback we receive, and frankly, even if it isn't in the style we prefer, uh, it's still valuable feedback because you're giving it, and we will read it. And even if we can't implement it, it has still been read. Uh, the the fact is, though, uh, when I think of a number of our recent releases, and we think back to Geist First Edition, which we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, and the problems that had because we weren't, or White Wolf of the day, weren't able to have the kind of errata system that we have in place now, uh, it's come on leaps and bounds, and it really helps our books have a nice, polished feel to them, to, in, to my mind, uh, as a developer. So, yeah, thank you, everyone who does that. And that actually ties into what I was going to mention about uh, playtesting is that, um, as, as again, we spend a lot of time talking about how to not do it, but at the end of the day, unreported errata, unreported playtest data is the worst kind. And so we, if we don't know it exists, we can't possibly act on it. Um, so even if we're not entirely sure what you mean, like, like I said earlier, or at least we're thinking about it. Um, and that kind of goes into with playtesting is that we, we, we've been very – Next, about how we handle playtesting, we have some groups that we've been doing playtesting with. We're looking at other groups that we want to do specific targeted playtesting with. Um, uh, but I mean, I think the word targeted is probably the key thing that that helps when I do playtests and I work playtests is I don't want you to just, first of all, play the game. I, I don't know how many times I've had people do playtests and, and most of them aren't even playing the game. Uh, the best playtest data I got from Pugmire was people who have never played D&D said I'm actually played Pugmire. I got so much good data from that um, because they were answer, asking questions that I had never even thought to ask. Right. Um, so, so number one, actually play the game because something that how it sounds on the page and how it actually plays may be different. Uh, but the other one is I tried to, I'll say, I want you to look at these specific things and give me specific, I have concerns about these points. Um mm-hmm. So if I say I need I need to know how the collateral damage system works in Aberrant, giving me information on the character creation system is helpful, but also not what I asked for. Um, uh, but again, 
any data is useful. So I'm not going to say don't do it, but if that is being given in lieu of the stuff I actually need strong data on, it's going to, it's, it's harder for me to, okay, cool. But I also really needed information on this specific thing. Um, so, I mean, if you have to do targeted data, definitely do that. So that's one of the reasons why we don't do a ton of open play testing because frankly, very little results from it. Um, if people do respond back, it's usually a grab bag of stuff and, and sometimes it's useful. Um, but, uh, uh from my experience, if we do a targeted play test, like I ask someone simply to look at it and, and they respond, I a 25% response rate is actually fantastic. I'm, I'm pleased <laughs> if I get 25% response rate. On an open, like anyone who looks at it can, can comment on it kind of play tests. If we get more than 2%, that's surprising. So Yeah, I think one of the things with play testing is that folks don't always know exactly what to say back you know mm-hmm. if like something is is very broken that can be obvious like like oh this clearly does not work at all because every time we tried to use it, it it didn't work like it was bad you know right. that's that's one thing but i think a lot of little tweaks and stuff i've i've seen the best play test feedback and the best play test groups come from people that make games unfortunately yeah um which which isn't to say that the average rpg player who does not make their own games doesn't know what they're doing it just means that there's a way of thinking about the mechanics that i mean i'm not even sure that i have you know mm-hmm. it's 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 nice like we're working on you know deviant and the renegades that that, that just went through its play testing phase and one of the groups of play testers included megan fitzgerald one of the devs <laughs> and uh James Huggins, who works on Exalted and, and other books. So, like, it was nice. It's nice people that work on games to kind of play test games because they know what to kind of mess with and possibly break and, you know, what kind of things people are looking for. Well, that brings an interesting point that I'd like to ask you about um, is uh, do you feel like now that you've watched game designers play test things and seen the kinds of feedback they have, do you feel like you as a person have, have a better chance of giving better, more actionable feedback? I think I do. Um, I actually participated in two playtests this past weekend, um, which I can't super talk about. Right. <laughs> but with with a couple of different folks, I I know that Chris Baby tweeted about it, so I did mm-hmm. participate in one of his playtests, um, and that was super fun. Uh, but yeah, like for me, it's 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 partially about the character stuff, but also partially about yeah. I I I think I'm a little better now at saying like, hey, these stats seem a little weird for this character, like this mechanic may not work as well. Granted, for, for Chris's game, we were using a system that already kind of exists. So right. that one wasn't one I was really playtesting the system. It was more playtesting the setting and the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I was kind of able to go like, hey, if my character is 22, she probably has computer use, especially if she's been to college. Mm, yeah, Because um, she didn't have that skill. And I was like, uh, <laughs> I feel like I need this skill. Because mm-hmm. um, everybody under the age of 40 has computer use. <laughs> Like, yeah. let's just, you know, I agree. be realistic here. Um, and then for the other playtest I did, which I really can't talk about too much, that one was more mechanics and seeing how things work. And it's the sister playtest of a playtest I ran a few months ago. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 the, the newest version. Um, so seeing how it's changed and improved, I actually do, like, notice more things now as far as mechanics. Not, like I said, I can't go into too many details, but I sure. feel like I do. But I mean, I, I think that, that, that I asked you that because I wanted to, to kind of build up it because I think it's more to my point is that because you sat down and played the games, you're able to see more of like little things like I, I don't know if that computer use instance would have necessarily jumped out at you by just reading a flat manuscript. Right, probably not. But making a character, you're going, oh, okay, now I'm seeing these kinds of concerns. Um, so um, I, 
if you are invited to do a playtest at some point, whether it's with us or another company, I mean, first of all, it's cool that you're offering your time to do that, but also genuinely, even if you just make characters, even if you just sit down and roll, you know, by yourself and put characters against each other and roll dice at your table, actually using the game as it is written on the page in as much detail as possible really, really helps. And that's the other thing is also playtesting does not have to be comprehensive. Um, mm-hmm. Like I don't necessarily need to know exactly who rolled what die in every round of combat, and that's something I'm asking for. Um, but being able to say, "Hey, we, you know, we played through, and there's here's a bullet point of things we thought weird." Again, I, I can follow up and say, "Okay, cool." On bullet points three and four, actually, I need more context. Can you help me out and understand why you did blah blah blah, or how you came to that conclusion? Um, right. With playtest, that is more likely to be a, a conversation because it's just it's a more intense look. Um, but, uh, but I mean, that can help inform errata too, is because again, if you've play tested and if you're giving errata, it's like, hey, you know, I was trying to make a character and I noticed that this says you get six skill dots as opposed to three. Is that intentional? You may not notice that unless you're actually making the character trying to figure out how many dots you put down. Mm-hmm. It's uh, something I found when I was doing uh, They Came From Beneath the Sea play tests. I ran it, a bunch of my friends ran it as well. I've mentioned before I'm in a very fortunate location in terms of gaming groups and there being quite a few of them in different venues around where I live. And so getting people to play new games is never that much of a challenge for me. But I always found... I guess the most valuable playtest feedback was when I was there in person uh, because I knew exactly what I was looking out for. I, you know, I was looking for signs of confusion. I was looking for people who were enjoying the hell out of the game, that kind of thing. Um, but I found that the ability to be able to have a conversation with a group immediately after they'd played a game was the one of the most useful ways of obtaining feedback and i know it's not always achievable especially if we uh, send a bunch of playtest materials off with groups at conventions and say you know run this over the next weekend and then write up your feedback right. it's it's a lovely ideal but there's an awful lot that can get lost in the uh, in the in the mists of time when you're running game after game after game at a very busy convention i think inadvertently uh, you were in one of those playtest things for me because um i i I don't know if it's when we first met, but I think it was very close to that. Is when you were playing a primary mm. game at Jenghan, and I sat in and watched. Yeah, it was uh, Megan and my, Megan and myself were playing right. on it, and uh, yeah, it was a playtest version of Pugmire. And I was able to kind of ask you guys questions afterwards, and that was both just being able to watch. So I'm not running the game, but I'm actually just watching other people play it. I can actually take notes. Oh, okay, I wouldn't have done it that way. Maybe did I clarify that or whatever? Um, but then being able to ask questions afterwards, that was immensely helpful but that's also that was a very like one of two or three times i think of my entire career i've been able to watch other people playing the game i've had without them having to interact with me oh yeah if if i hadn't done that for they came from i don't think cinematics would have ever been on cards for instance Mm -hmm. uh we we always talked about having quips on cards as uh, something you could essentially play in almost a cards against humanity but better way uh, where during the course of the game you're more likely to use these things if they're in a card and you can use them as a prop um, and slam them down on the table while you say them but having the cinematics in the center of the group if it's a physical tabletop group uh, really encourages people to use them uh, certainly more so than having them secreted away somewhere in a book and it's one of those struggles I have with, um, with with a lot of game systems, not just our own, where you have um, things like 
so you have stunts in the the age system mm-hmm. as well as the story path system and uh, equivalents in other games, and they tend to be things that you buy ad hoc uh, when you need them. But knowing the list of stunts, knowing the stunts available to you, is something that I have found through playtesting these games. Uh, you need some kind of visual aid to remind you of your options because stopping to read through the book just isn't necessarily intuitive. Yeah. Uh, so I know, I know yeah. when, I, when I ran I, it at uh, UK Games Expo or, or, or I ran story about the UK Games Expo to shortcut that what they end up doing is saying is like, okay, you have this many successes left. Here are the kinds of stunts you can buy. You can buy this, you can buy this, you can buy yeah. this, or for something else you want to do, let me know. And then they can basically just pick from the list I gave them. Yeah, and I do it in a Mage the Ascension. So I've done a similar thing for Mage the Ascension. I know very very much a tangent right now, but mm. still might be interesting to some listeners. Um, with Mage the Ascension, the general conceit is you create your spells on the fly, but you know, and there's no pre-written spells in the core rulebook from memory. It's always you know, combine this sphere with this sphere, see what happens, yep. and and just and justify it retroactively. And uh, what I always encouraged players to do with that was make a spell book if there's a spell you go back to every time you play bring a notepad or bring a lovely plush uh, journal that you can buy from Redbubble, uh, an Onyx Path journal, and, <laughs> and and turn it and turn it into a spellbook of the kinds of combinations of spheres you use. So make dedicate a, a, a page to your um, turning a banister into a snake spell, and um, and say which spheres you used. So then you don't need to think it up again. You can just refer to your spellbook and make it on the on the go. Same goes for stunts for games like Story Path and The Age System by Green Ronin, if there are stunts you enjoy, make a note of them so that you can just think, okay, I like that one. This will be my character's trademark, right. for want of a better word. Right. But that's the kind, that, that's the kind of thing that you anyway. don't necessarily see just reading a book. By actually playing it, that's the kind of stuff that comes out organically. We can make the game better if we know that kind of information. Exactly, and it's rarely the kind of thing we get through errata because when people are reading a book, they think, okay, this makes sense, this makes sense, this power looks good, it looks fun, I look forward to using it. But then when they finally get to the tabletop and only one person at the table has the book, the other five people at the table don't know those stunts exist or those yep. spells exist. So it's it's less organic. Uh, but anyway, we, we are nearing the end of our episode. I think we're at the end of our episode. So before we sign off completely, Dixie. Oh, no. What are you working on right now? <laughs> I feel like that's what I'm working on right now. Um, speaking of dating the episode, it's going up after this. <laughs> uh, I'm working on. We nearly got through it. A bunch of things. I'm working on Lunars. I'm working on hiring some new editors to do some other projects because. I got into a bit of a log jam recently where I was like, everything fell on my plate at once. And I'm kind of looking at our uh, project tracking software and going, there's eight more things about to fall on me. (laughs) So I'm working on some big books right now. I'm doing Lunars. I am, I don't even know what else I'm working on right now. I'm working on a lot. Working on a lot right now. I'm also working on playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Obviously. Well, that's a good a good use of your time. Uh, I mean, and I, I'm not I even like. being flippant there. It is, <laughs> it is a good use of your time. Um, if people are interested in editing for us, because there may be listeners who have dabbled in editing or have good editing skills, how would they apply? Uh, I have people just emailing me at dixie.onyxpath at gmail. Um, 
very few people have actually done that yet, even though it's on the submissions site. People tend to contact Rich or Matt or someone else they know. And I'm like, all right, but you can just email me. Uh, but yeah, dixie.onyxpath at gmail.com is my work email, which I don't mind giving out here. That's fine. And um, yeah, if you want to contact me about anything or just tell me how awesome I am on the podcast, feel free to do so. Okay, and uh, Eddie, what are you working on right now? And we'll roll how to find you on social media I, into this as well. I didn't say the rest of that oh, then. Also, Dixie Conklin. You didn't say Dixie. Sa- also, Dixie uh, Cyanide. God. <laughs> I, I was hoping we could fit this in a neat hour. Okay, yeah. well, Eddie, you have uh, 13 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Go, Albert, go, go. com. done. MatthewDawkins.com, many worlds, one path, come. Oh.